This is the St. Charles History Chronicle, episode 2310. John Morgan and Brian Henry, from former local radio station WGSB 1480 AM, the voice of the valley, join Steve and Eric at the microphones. Brought to you by the St. Charles History Museum in St. Charles, Illinois. I did. I actually pushed the record button before we started this. Hey, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Hi, this is uh, St. Charles History Chronicles. We've been gone for a long time, so excuse me for having a little bit of dust here. But uh, this is Steve Gibson, president of the board here at the St. Charles History Museum. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Krupa. Good afternoon, morning, people. Anything change, Eric, since we were on last time? Uh, Nothing that I could think of. Just preparing for the gala out there. That's true. Yeah, we're we're a history museum, so our change is very incremental. You know, we don't we don't move too fast. Uh, today we got a pretty cool special program for you, especially those people like me that grew up with that little tiny transistor radio underneath my pillow uh, when I was sleeping in the bunk bed listening to WLSAM and all the other radio stations here in Chicago. I grew up in Bellwood, by the way, and uh, I remember late, late, late at night listening to those really hot stations coming out of like Arkansas, you know, and Texas. Um, catching the stuff that was coming out then. Uh, but we're joined today by a couple of the uh, on-air personalities from uh, AM 1480 WGSB here in the Valley. I think it was called the Voice of the Valley at one time and some other things. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce them and let them kind of tell you what they, where they're coming from. I'll start with Brian Henry, happens to be a board member here at the History Museum. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Steve. Nice to be here. Glad to have you. So what were you doing when you were hanging out at the station? Well, uh, I became originally the sports director and also the um, uh, marketing or salesperson. That's what they were looking for at that time. And I had a uh, degree in marketing from uh, Wisconsin and Milwaukee. And so I sent a tape here and amongst other places. And they called me down for an interview and they said, yeah, let's uh, let's go for it. So I did uh, take the job. And about six, uh, about six weeks after I started, the news director quit. Uh, Jeff Martin, I believe, was his name. And he took a job in the Quad Cities. And so they came to me and asked if I would uh, be interested in dropping the sales uh, portion of my title and become the news and sports director uh, exclusively. And based on the account list that they had given me for sales, I said, you bet. Uh, so uh, I became, after six weeks, I was officially the news and sports director. Oh, that was in uh, February of 1975. 1975. Remember Perfect. it like it was 50 years ago. That's Also joining us today is John Morgan from the radio station. Hi, John. How are you? Good to see you guys. Good to see you. So how did you end up at WGCB or GSB? GSB. I just changed St. Charles to Charles. Okay? Yeah, just, yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's been at a lot of stations. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used the wrong call letters on the year several times. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually got started when I was a sophomore in high school because I was wanting to be in this business, had some interest in it. So I started hanging out at the station, unpaid, snot-nosed little kid, being a, being a pest. And finally, they said, well, here's a few tasks you can do. And then I finally figured out what it was I really needed to do to get into the business, uh, which at that time included getting a license from the Federal Communications Commission to operate the transmitter. So I then uh, went and got that and came back and they hired me part time. And then for several years, I was had my school schedule set up so that I would get out of school two hours early because I scheduled P.E. and, and study hall the last two hours of the day. <laughs> went over and did the tail end of the afternoon drive show. Nice. So that was in that was in the '60s, and then I I'd been back at the station three or four times since then, 
finally uh, running through the, the last moments when we signed off in 2000. Speaking of beginnings and speaking of uh, the start of the whole thing, I'm re- doing research online, and I know we've talked about the WGSB in the past. Um, I think everyone in St. Charles or outside of uh, St. Charles in, in the Chicago area is familiar with the name Brick House. Right. And the the station owes a lot of its genetic structure to Brick House, but not Jack Brick House, right? It was actually Nelda. Is that her name? Well, Jack came along a while later. It started off, um, I forget who owned it, but it was a couple of engineers who thought that Geneva needed a radio station in the county seat. And they put it together, put it on, and then eventually Dolph Hewitt of the uh, WLS Barn Dance bought the station. He had it for three years. And at that time, we were beautiful music in the daytime, country western overnight. Um, and then I'm trying to think after he bought it, uh, he sold it to, I th- if not directly, immediately, shortly after that, to Jack Brickhouse. Jack had it for a while. But the problem with that was WGN's lawyer said, hey, Jack, you're on our board and it's a conflict of interest. Uh, yeah. So he retitled the station in his wife's name. Then later he got divorced from her. And of course, she had the station in her name. Mm-hmm. So she ran it from 77-ish maybe up to 1980, 81. And then Howard Miller bought the station. Uh, and then there were a few other owners. Uh, Gerald Gamble from Sterling bought it. And then there was a number of people in town who had bits and pieces of it. Ruby Frank from the Frank's Employment Agency had a piece yeah. of it. Um, and then a lawyer from uh, uh, Sterling bought out everybody's interest, and he had it to the very end. Oh, okay. All right. And and as far as the Brickhouse family went, it didn't really color anything here, right? I mean, it wasn't like you were pushed for sports or, or anything like that. I know we did a lot of local sports, right? I mean, we were the place for local sports oh, yeah. news. So. Yeah. Yeah. Brian could talk to sports more than I could because I was opposing sports at that time. Okay. When, I was, when I was there, I was, I was the, the guy who liked the music. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't see any change other than, you know, the country music disappeared. And uh, there was more emphasis on local sports, but not enough that you would really notice it was a comfortable mix of local programming to serve the local community what we probably should have been doing all along anyway Mm -hmm. i was really excited uh when i realized that jack brickhouse was the owner of the station because i was a big sports fan and living on in a suburb of milwaukee south milwaukee we had a rotary antenna so we could pick up channel nine and so i would watch a lot of the cub games Mm -hmm. uh you know, just about any kind of sports that Chicago had. And so I was very familiar with Jack Brickhouse. So I was super excited to uh, come down and uh, work with the uh, Brickhouse family. Although I didn't see Jack that much. He came out, I remember, and spoke to one of the uh, sports nights uh, for St. Charles. I think it was over at Haynes. And so I think that was the first time I met him. And uh, subsequent to that, um, he would invite me uh, up to the press box at uh, Wrigley Field for the uh, Cub games, and I did that a few times. Uh, Jeff Schilke, the mayor of Batavia, was one of the uh, people that went with me uh, on one of the days. Um, but I also had a chance to uh, meet Irv Cups in it because uh, they were still doing the uh, Bears games. Uh, by that time, though, they were at Soldier Field, so I met Jack and Irv Cups in it at uh, Soldier Field and sat with them in the press box while they did a Bear game. And uh, that was kind of exciting. So I met Jack a, a number of times, not that many, but uh, it was it was exciting for me. And uh, the uh, the sports that we covered in this area was pretty widespread with the uh, uh, Fox Valley Lassies and, of course, the high school sports. Uh, did some hockey. Tom Capelli sponsored uh, 
he had Quad County Distributing on Randall Road, and uh, he asked me if we would uh, sponsor or if he would sponsor the hockey games if we would put him on the air. So uh, we did that, and um, so we did a little bit of junior college uh, basketball as well. So it was it was great. It was a lot of fun and um, a lot of hours, but uh, it all worked out. It's um, it's amazing, even as you're saying this, and I'm, I'm remembering the music and I'm remembering the news, um, how the world has changed in terms of radio today, where it's basically another media distribution thing. And when everybody thinks of media, it's music, it's video, maybe. At news, I know there's news stations. I still listen to them myself. But I mean, honestly, it seems like we lost a complete media delivery system in the radio world. And as you say that, um, especially when it comes locally, I just read something this weekend there's 210 counties in the United States that are news deserts, okay? There's no radio, no newspapers, no TV stations, no nothing in the entire county, okay? And and when you think about that, radio was the way they did it. I mean, it dawned on me while you guys are talking about this, how much power were we talking at this radio station? WGSB, which later uh, the call letters changed to WFXW at the end, mm-hmm. uh, had 1,000 watts during the day. 500 watts at night. Uh, we did that because of atmospheric requirements and needs. The sun changes the way the signal propagates. But anyway, we had five antennas, so we were directional all the time. We forced the signal uh, west during the daytime and north and south at nighttime, and we never went east because there was a 1490 in Oak Park. So if you drove three miles east of the station, it got pretty pretty bad. It was nice because even though we were a relatively small market, we were 24 hours, and for instance, WRMN up in Elgin, 14:10 a.m. Uh, for many years, they were a daytime radio station. Uh, eventually, got they got their 24-hour license, but for a long time, they were only uh, daytime, and that was uh, something that we held over them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> First off, the block, um, and then I think the other thing is that that um, for this area, it's another advertising is another marketing place for you and it, it reminds me that it opened up the world for a lot of local people who couldn't afford any kind of advertising in one of the bigger stations to be able to advertise to a real marketed thing kind of kind of like fox valley magazine probably does today or other people where it literally becomes affordable and doable and you kind of lost that one when we lost our local stations so as you're as you guys are working on this station and everything is changing because this is just kind of I guess for my information hopefully somebody else is interested how do you move from you know one rock genre to the other when you're talking about music well I was in um, both country and rock and eventually oldies and it just came naturally because as being in it every day you were exposed to it whether you wanted to or not you just picked it up through osmosis so you know i would i would be listening to the night guy who was playing country and i there's a few good songs on there so when i had to do a country show i knew what songs to play and mm-hmm. knew a few things to you know i'd steal from him as to what he said and talk about him as yeah, well yeah. uh which which was outside of my normal wheelhouse uh but i was into you know several of the the, the genres at the time so it was. It, it came natural, and as time went on, eventually I decided in 19, I want to say 85, I'd gotten to the age where I had stopped listening to the current station, LS and others, because they were throwing in so much rap. 
And it was just something I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And so the, even though I occasionally would hear some great songs that I wanted to hear, I couldn't listen to the station the whole time. So that's when I switched over to oldies and then I started doing oldies radio. Um, so I would have to say that up through about that time, I was knowing what was going on. But after that, not so much. Mm -hmm. How about uh, selections, stuff like that? How did you come up with uh, checking out the playlists there today? I mean, you had the whole payola scandal in the early 2000s and mm -hmm. stuff like that and mm -hmm. probably even further beyond that. Yeah, yeah. There, but, uh, was, there was a big yeah. one back in the 50s, too. Um, it was a matter of looking at the national charts, Billboard, Record World, Cashbox, um, Gavin Report. Those were the, the, the publications that we read. Yeah. And they, they all ranked the songs. Uh, several of them post posted comments about the songs, what different program directors liked or didn't like about the music. And, of course, we also listened to you know what was going on in downtown. And from that, we decided what we wanted to play. And then the owner had a good stake in it, too. I remember one owner said, you will never play a Barbara Streisand record on this radio station. <laughs> and so that was that. <laughs> so, the, you know, the money talks a little bit there. But, uh, yeah, we generally followed the trends. But we also had, uh, you know, there were times when we were, were not really formatting the music. The music was there basically to to fill the time between the news and the local community talk programs. Okay. And um, that was pretty much, you know, a thousand albums sitting in the station, beautiful music, Percy Faith, Madhavani, Henry Mancini, et cetera, et cetera, Frank Sinatra, um, and pretty much the jock picked their own music. And that, oh, that's wonderful. That's rare if non-existent anymore. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just those curated same old 1015 that they have on loop, you oh, know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, Nothing, yeah. no individuality kind of. <laughs> It, and then when I think of sports, I think, you know, first off, just doing the box scores and, and all that kind of stuff, maybe a little bit of, of talk about that or even talk shows about that. But really, one of the cool things about sports is doing live stuff or on location stuff. What what did that add to the mix here? I mean, you know, going out to a, I don't imagine you've got like any, you know, uh, remote studio set up over at the high school that you can go into or anything like that. No, we had a, a portable unit called a Marty, which I don't know what that stands for. It's the George Marty was the owner of the company. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we, we, we would set that up locally. That uh, would send a signal back to the station, and we would do Geneva, St. Charles, Batavia, some Caneland, and, uh, you know, that worked out well. But when we did an away game, then we would have to go through the phone company, and they would have to have a hookup there for us in the press box at whatever uh, location we were going to. So... Um, that was uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, we really had uh, some good people working with us. Uh, Keith Anderson is a name that some people may remember. Keith did a lot of sports here. Uh, Les Hodge helped me uh, on some of the broadcasts. Uh, he was from Batavia, and then uh, Jeff Schulke helped me a little bit on some of the Batavia stuff as well. So we had uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, and then uh, three years in a row we covered the uh, Fox Valley Lassies. Uh, the women's softball team uh, that played here in St. Charles. And they had won the national championship in 77. And so in 78, 79, and 80, we, uh, we followed them. And they were in Jacksonville, Florida, Petersburg, Virginia, and Kinston, North Carolina, those three years. So kind of felt like the big time going on the airplane and uh, covering them and broadcasting live back to, uh, uh, back to the area. So it was, uh, it was good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah kind of thing like that does that transfer the other way then could you bring people in the studio and and interview them and stuff like that that was that was possible too okay yeah we had a sports show uh um on saturday morning sports of all sorts or something like that 
And uh, so, yeah, we would sit down and talk to, uh, you know, various people. We had Rick Wolhutter was a big uh, distance runner uh, that I know I interviewed. I can't remember if he was in the studio or not. But uh, St. Charles and the area had some big-time athletes. Uh, Dan Issel uh, played at Batavia High School uh, before his uh, ABA and NBA mm-hmm. career. Kenny Anderson played quarterback at uh, Batavia uh, before going to college at uh, Augustana, I believe, and then going on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so, yeah, we had, uh, we had some good stuff. And um, it was it was fun following these people, and there was there was enough big time athletes in the area. Randy Wright, of course, yeah. uh, eventually went to play for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, one quick story: I was at home. Uh, I had helped uh, Randy's uh, uh, sister uh, once I got into real estate after radio. But Randy remembered me from the radio, and uh, he was playing quarterback for the Packers, and they were playing at Soldier Field. Um, and he called, uh, my house in St. Charles on a Saturday. And, uh, on that Saturday, my wife's uh, oldest sister and her husband were visiting us. So the phone rings, my wife answers it. And he was a big Packer fan being from Wisconsin. So my wife answers the landline phone and says to me, it's for me. And I said, Oh, who is it? And she goes, Randy Wright. And my brother-in-law looks at me like, what? <laughs> Randy Wright? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's Randy Wright. Just hold on. So I got on the phone uh, with Randy and he says, hey, uh, thanks for helping my sister out. Would you like to uh, come to the Bear game uh, tomorrow at Soldier Field? I've got some tickets and I thought of you. And so I covered the mouthpiece on the phone. I said to my brother-in-law, this is Randy. Do you want to go to the Packer game tomorrow and, uh, against the Bears at Soldier Field? And of course he did. So, uh, yeah, of course. So we went and had a good time, and Randy was the quarterback and all that good stuff. So, nice. yeah, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good sports memories. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I know St. Charles had a few Olympians, like you said, uh, Rick. Uh, uh, yeah, it was Rick. Wold Hunter. Wold Hunter. Bronze uh, medalist, by the way. Uh, How did you guys cover that? Did you guys do any of the national cover or not national coverage, obviously, but you know, uh, break down the kind of events at the time? Or uh, no, just basically interviews. Uh, you know, over the phone. Um, one time, uh, one of the big races uh, that uh, took place, and I think they still do it to some extent, was the Mid-America Canoe Race. Oh, yes. And they used to have like a thousand entries from all over the country, and they had different categories. And so we had the Marty unit out uh, one weekend or that Sunday. I think it was a Sunday that they ran the race. And we're going up and down the valley along the river doing uh, doing the broadcast. And this one guy comes up to me and he says, hi, I'm with the Chicago American, I think it was, the newspaper. And um, he says, it's pretty cool that you're covering the race uh, on the radio. And I said, yeah, it's, it is nice. And he says, do you mind if I do a little story about it? And I said, no, that's fine. It turned out to be Tim Weigel, who uh, became a big time uh, sports oh, reporter yeah. on WLS TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the late Tim Weigel. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of neat that uh, he was there before his radio days. Yeah. And so, yeah, we would get out and try to cover things as best we could. Yeah. I remember there was one time when we covered the Mid-America Canoe Race, I think it was probably after you left uh, the station, that we actually put the Marty onto a canoe <laughs> with a car battery, Uh-oh. and we went down the race from St. Charles wow. to Batavia yeah. and doing cut-ins from the middle of the river. And that was, 
that was kind of fun, but a little scary because if you tip the canoe over there, went you know three thousand dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> How heavy was Marty, by the way? Um, call it twenty pounds, maybe, 20 pounds. maybe, and maybe, a, and a car battery. Yeah, oh yeah, and the car battery <laughs> was heavier. There yeah. are a few places you have to actually walk your canoe, right? Or was that happening back then we, or not? Yeah, we well we had to, we had to portage in Geneva, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was we didn't portage while we were on the air. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, and then on the other side of it, um, you, you may have said this, but I, I don't recall what you said. Um, so it was was it? So you had a mix of shows and everything else. You went down to a lower wattage after dark, okay? Right. Um, but it was a twenty four hour a day station, mm-hmm. right? And what was somebody there twenty four hours a day? Did you just start a, a tape and go home at midnight? Or actually, that would have been illegal back in those days because you were required to have a licensed operator on duty at the mm-hmm. transmitter or at the remote control point, which we were all the time. So there always had to be somebody there. Now that went away and with the Reagan's deregulation in the late 90s. And now uh, in the, about the same time, automation, computer automation came out and you could set the station up to run for two, three, four days at a time without having anybody there. But that that's more recent. Uh, but yeah, we always had to have somebody there. And if nobody was there, we had to sign off. And I can remember a few times we somebody didn't show up and off we went. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is that like playing the national anthem and yeah. all that kind of stuff? Yeah, oh, yeah, you just do, hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of our day. You know, we're licensed by the Federal Communications Commission. We'll be back in the morning. Here's our national anthem. Push. Yeah. And off we went. Yeah. <laughs> One of the nice things about the uh, 24 hours would be on election night because results were coming in all evening. And I remember asking Jeff Schilke before he was mayor of Batavia to come in and help because I knew he was very interested in politics and what have you. So That paid uh, off. Yep. Yeah. So so Jeff would come in and, um, you know, I would need a break. So I would just say to Jeff, uh, Jeff, can you just run down the races uh, that we're seeing tonight? And I'd leave the uh, studio, come back a half hour later. And Jeff is still running down the uh, the races and doing a great job of analyzing what's happening. So he, he was a lot of fun uh, to have around. And, um, you know, it's kind of neat to see what he's uh, done as far as the mayor of Batavia for as long as yeah. uh, as he's done. Longest so. in Illinois, right? I yeah. think so. Yes, yeah. I remember a couple of times I was out with the Marty unit over at Geneva at the county courthouse counting election ballots. Oh, and mm-hmm. and uh, I went on to do a report and I read through all the stats and who's ahead and who's behind. And I signed off the air and then out of the corner of my ear, I heard one of the ladies from the, the local newspaper reporting say, and that's why you don't do election results on the radio, because I had gone on so long in a monotone <laughs> voice with all these numbers, and you know, people couldn't comprehend all of it, probably. So, uh, yeah, there there were some ups and downs of doing it on that's radio. True. A, a crawl doesn't work on radio no. like it does on TV. You no. need those blue and red colors to really make it pop. <laughs> One of the one of the shows that we had when I was there, and I think uh, it was before and after. Well, there's a couple of shows, but uh, as far as a talk show, we had something called Breakfast with Your Neighbor, uh, and yeah. that was usually a half hour or an hour talk show in the morning, and we would cover all sorts of uh, events and uh, you know topics, and that was always a good uh, show in the morning. The other thing they had uh, was Trading Post, and people would call in and try to sell things or buy things, whatever. Trading Post, sponsored by the Blue Goose. And in the middle of the show, we always went to, um, I forget what his full name was, but we called him Pitch. I think it was Pitchick or somebody that worked at the Blue Goose. Uh, Dave Dave. Dave Pitchick, who gave us us a a three-minute advertisement for the goose in the middle. And then as far as the breakfast with your neighbor, I remember one time after we had had a major snowstorm. 
everything was closed. Everybody was calling us. Is our place open today? Is school on today? This, that, and the other thing. In the middle of that show, we used to do um, a psychic reading from, I think it was Irene Hughes or one of the, one of the oh, psychics, yeah, yeah. and she would call in. But the phones were so busy that she couldn't even get it, even in <laughs> our secret hotline that nobody knew about. She couldn't call in because all the numbers were tied up. And it got, it, but that show that morning ran for two hours because everybody wanted to talk about the storm, of course. Oh, that's yeah. right. Uh, speaking about meteorology, I know you mentioned that you guys brush shoulders, or at least you brush shoulders, Mr. Morgan, with uh, Tom Skilling, because right. we brought up some old documents that we had up here, and mm -hmm. uh, you worked for Channel 60 on the TV. Yeah, when, when 60 was in Aurora, WLXT, which stood Roman numerals for 60, uh, they broadcast out of the Stolt building in downtown, which has long been demolished, and uh, Tom Skilling had, was working there and at WMRO at the time. And I was working uh, part-time on Sunday mornings doing news on MRO, uh, Saturday nights uh, doing uh, WGSB. And then throughout the week, I would go down and work after school. Uh, sometimes after I got off my afternoon drive shift at WGSB, I'd go down and be engineering Oh, at uh, Channel 60. So I was, you know, I... <laughs> Slightly I, I, busy. Yeah, well, I got away from school as much as I could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Tom Tom was there and did uh, did a very good job. We could tell really, really early on that he was going to go places. Yeah. So uh, he was a pleasure to work with. But he was very intense. I mean, he, he, even at his early age of still being in high school, was, you know, all weather all the time. <laughs> Okay, so locally, what kind of what kind of programs did you have? Other programs did you have? We did we did a lot of different programs. Uh, we had a German show that was on Sunday mornings, uh, run by a guy who was out of uh, Dundee, and I'm trying to think. A number of you know religious leaders came in and pre-recorded you know their their religious oh, yeah. services on Sunday morning. Uh, the Baker Church here in town did a live eleven to twelve. Um, they had a direct phone line over, so we broadcast that service live for a number of years. Um, but I'm trying to remember some of the other shows we did. We had, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of shows from the networks. Of course, we were affiliated with Mutual early on and then later ABC, and they provided us some public affairs and long-form programming, but local um, sports mostly. Yeah, I think uh, Nelda Brickhouse uh, knew Irene uh, Hughes. Yeah, I think that's what you her mentioned name was. that before. Yeah. And, uh, that was uh, pretty popular because uh, she would call in and, uh, you know, people would talk to her and ask her different things. So that was kind of an interesting one. Uh, that was because of uh, Nelda's connection. Okay. And, and for the kids in the audience, Irene Hughes would be the person who predicted the JFK assassination. If I remember correctly, that was her claim to fame. Okay. So what else? What other any sports things? Or um, I'm trying to think. I, I was thinking uh, some news stuff. Um, one of the things that we did was to make it sound more professional and get more news on was we would talk to other stations in the morning before we would go on with our newscast. So I would talk to uh, WMRO in Aurora. Uh, I think Dan Lewis was uh, one of the news directors there at that time. Um, and then I would talk to Ken Kosek up in Elgin at WRMN, and we would exchange stories um, and so it, it sounded better, you know, see, now we go to Ken Kosek and Elgin for the report mm -hmm. on, you know, the riverboat or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And so that was, uh, that was good stuff. I remember one time, and this is just kind of embarrassing, but it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, when I would do the story for Ken, he would put it on a reel to reel recorder. And there was one morning I was trying to read a story and it started with, uh, Kane County Sheriff, William Klusak, um, and so I, I started the story a number of times. It was from a county board meeting. And I kept 
goofing it up. And finally, I said to on you know to Ken on the tape, I said, "Oh, sh, you know, I can't read this thing." And uh, and then I did it, and I finally got it right. So Ken cues it up for the morning newscast <laughs> in Elgin. And he goes on the air and we, he says, There's, here's a story about Kane County Sheriff William Clusack at the county board meeting yesterday. And this is Brian Henry out of Geneva. And he plays the one where I swear. Uh, <laughs> so that was... Uh, You're famous. I was famous. Instantly, yeah. you went viral in those yeah, days. I, I yeah. did, yeah. So. I think that's the only word I've ever said, the swear word on the air. One day I played a record at the wrong speed and yeah. I went, oh, you know what? And as, as I potted the mic down to try and correct the yeah. speed on the turntable. So Ken, Ken said they got a lot of phone calls uh, after that and people... I think they got a kick out of it more than anything. And Ken, by the way, uh, for a number of years now, has been a writer at uh, WBBM Radio in oh, Chicago. Yeah. So he's he's still doing his thing. Oh, yeah. So how about uh, syndicated shows? Did you guys have any uh, Fibber, Mickey, and Molly playing on? Or <laughs> No, most of the the, uh, the comedy shows that, that were on the networks back in those days had, had gone the way of the Dodo Bird. Um, we did have a few people uh, locally that did some some uh, uh, stuff nationally, too. Uh, in the early days of the radio station, once Dick Biondi got, uh, left uh, L.S., he went out to the Mutual Network and for two years did a show on a music show on Mutual that we picked up. Uh, there was uh, Denny Farrell, who was a local uh, guy who was big, big, big into the big bands, oh, yeah. pun intended, I guess. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he uh, did a show out of his house here. We even hooked him up with a, another uh, remote transmitter from over there. So oh, every okay. night he went on for four or five hours doing uh, doing big bands in the evening. Yeah. So we've had shows like that. I'm trying to remember, though, we did, uh, uh, there was a couple of shows uh, that ran every day on the Mutual Network from 5.30 to 6 in the afternoon, which was a you know, national public affairs show. And it was the type of stuff that you wouldn't really probably do today on the radio because so much of it is now switched over to television and streaming that uh, you know, you, you dilute the audience too much for a local station to be what it supports something like that. Mm. Uh, but uh, back before you could get music from anywhere other than record stores or concerts or the radio or, or news for that matter, that's, that's when we shined. But once the, the streaming came along, uh, you, know, you didn't have to come to us for music. You didn't have to come to us for news. You could go to CNN or Fox or whoever. So uh, it, it became a harder, uh, hard, harder hill to get up. Now, uh, Howard Miller buys the station, changes the call letters, WFXW? Yes. Okay. And is it then becomes part of Howard Miller's network? Is that? Well, he owned the station. Yeah. It was part of his group. Right. But I don't recall any networking of audio between no. the stations. Okay. So it was independently run okay. by him. Yeah as well as all of his other stations, including the one in, in Florida. Yeah. He, had, he had one in Rockford, too, I believe, um, when he came to uh, this mm -hmm. area. But mm -hmm. Melbourne was the one of the places in Florida where he had a station, I right. believe. Right, yeah. Okay. So um, so Howard Miller is the is the the boss now. It's not Nelda Brickhouse. It's not Jack Brickhouse. Um, what changed in, in the station itself when, when that happened? Well, I was told that, uh, from other people who were familiar with Howard and his other radio stations that within six months, everybody would be gone uh, that oh, was geez. working there and turned out basically to be true. Uh, I was the last one uh, that he let go uh, six months after he uh, took over the station and moved it to uh, Geneva. But it was interesting. Uh, I was uh, I was on vacation 
and but stayed in the area. It was a staycation. And uh, we had uh, both of our kids by then. And Lucas, our son, was uh, probably about two years old. And I get a call from Howard. And he says, can you stop by the station? I know you're on vacation, but could you stop by? And I said, sure. I'm running a few errands and with my son, and we'll stop by. So we drove over to the uh, station on Richard Street in Geneva and went into his office. And Howard was not a, a, a big man but he had a, a leather chair with the back of it being about six feet high. And um, so he's sitting in his chair and he, he takes my son, who I said is like about two years old, and he starts bouncing him on his knee. And he says, Brian, I just wanted to let you know, we're not going to need your services here anymore at WFXW. <laughs> I'll never forget that. No, that's um, my God. You know, I thought, what a, what a nice way to let somebody really go, nice, bouncing yeah. their son on his so, knee. So personal. I mean, you were yeah. right there. Your kid was there for the whole thing. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of makes me tear thing. up a little bit. <laughs> <you know. laughs> so that was, that was one Howard. But Howard didn't like sports. He didn't like local sports. Maybe he knew John. I don't know. But, um, John put the word in for you. Good. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was not there at the time. No, he wasn't. But uh, so it all, you know, it all worked out, and there was quite a reaction from the community because I had been there about six years, and between news and sports and all the other things that we covered, I had become you know fairly well known at least in the Tri Cities. And uh, when people found out what had happened, there was it was nice for me to see the reaction that people were disappointed in what he did. Yeah, yeah. Did he bring in local people at all, or was it just people from out of town kind of thing? I no idea. I you know I, I don't think it was any big time people that he brought in. It was just probably maybe some people out of college. I don't I don't know. But yeah. Howard, uh, he would you know I think he was still uh, or he was already about eighty years old at that point, and he would come in. He'd be there at like five thirty in the morning, making sure that the station got going, and then he would do his talk show. So he was still living his uh, WIND days from uh, Chicago radio. I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Let's circle around because it's something else I remember now. I got to believe that one of your most important functions as a radio station here was weather-related. School closings, um, things that were supposed to happen tonight that aren't going to happen tonight because of the ice on the on the um, you know pavement and everything else like that, right? Am, am I wrong? So what's the coordination for that? I mean, are you just phone calls, right? I, I, a lot of it's phone calls. Um, I, 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 there's a story I, I told one time at, at another uh, uh, lecture took me 20 minutes to get through it i'll try to make it a lot shorter now uh but we had a big major snowstorm in in 79 uh wasn't quite as big as the one we had here in 67 but i wasn't on the air then and in 79 the storm hit and i was on the air doing the afternoon show and by the time the evening show time came around nobody could get anywhere so long story short i was stuck on the station for 36 37 hours straight um and we were 24 hours at that time so i signed off at about 1 a.m and took a nap and came back on about five in the morning uh but your question as far as coordination would go um when we got into the fall we would send out a letter to all of the entities businesses schools everything with passcodes or passwords. Oh, okay. And it was you know no internet in those days, and it was on a you know a letter we'd mail to them, and the principal kept it in their office. And if they were going to close school, they'd call us on the phone, tell us what the password was, tell us they were closing, and we would write it down. And so this particular morning, um, afternoon, it was Sunday morning when when uh, when the calls started coming in, uh, I had been there, 
And uh, I had someone, a friend of mine who was there too, who got stuck at the station who was planning on being there three hours to watch my show and leave, couldn't leave. So I, <laughs> I, I had her doing uh, all the phone answering. And so while I'm on the air, she's writing down all the places that are closed. And I said to the audience, I said, well, it's six o'clock. We got a long list. I'll, I'll read everything at seven. And then again, I'll read everything at eight. From 7.05 after the network news until 7.27 or 28, something like that in the hour, nothing but this place is closing. That Jeez, place is closed. Yeah. We should have just said everything's closed. <laughs> you know, stay it, home. <laughs> it was really bad. But that's how we got the information. And we'd also get people that would call us up and say, hey, we're doing snow plowing. And we'd say, well, you know, send us send somebody over with the plow and give us a check and we'll run a bunch of ads for there you. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. But, you know, it was, it was you know, an all hands on deck in most cases because everybody would come in and, and, and do things. Like I said earlier in the show, the that the morning program we had one time normally ran half an hour or an hour the, the breakfast with your neighbor uh that morning it ran two hours because we had that many phone calls and people that wanted to talk um so it was an all-out effort to get the word out to the community i remember that one time uh, what i was just talking about uh in the evening on that saturday um it was major windy major storm and this was before cell phones and I had heard from the state police in talking with them that they knew that there were a number of motorists that were stranded on 38 west of Geneva on the, mm. out to DeKalb. I mean, lots of people. And because this was a major storm and emergency, we were allowed to go back to full power under uh, uh, Federal Communication Commission rules. And so we covered the West a lot better at night than, than, than we normally did. And I went on the air and I said, hey, we've heard from people at this location and this location and, this, and that, that are stranded out there. Don't worry. Don't go away. Don't walk out of your car. Stay in your car. We know that people are coming to get you. And I heard afterwards, several days later, several people called up to thank us for that because they yeah. they knew, at least they felt wonderful that somebody knew that they were out there, which yeah. they they didn't know otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's great. I mean, the odds of that happening, you know, well, today you got phones and stuff, but to even get that through to somebody back yeah. then is just an amazing feat. Yeah. It was it was funny because, you know, now nobody even, hardly anybody ever remembers the station that wasn't involved with it in some way or another. And back then, that we were the go-to. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, get a tornado, get a little bit of wind, and suddenly, you know, our listenership went up, you know, 500%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, it is a shame. Um, it's a shame that, the mo that there's not a model that makes that all seem like something that we want to have in every community. Um, I guess, you know, you, the podcast model doesn't work because we're not live, okay? Literally, you know, we can be information collectors. When Wait we're a minute, I'm, I'm here right now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> But give you last week's weather. That's yeah, but but you're. It's just not. It doesn't have that live thing to it, and the ability to you know fire up that that rocket ship of a radio station and broadcast and like you said, get out further west. Um, even today uh, with cell phones, there's plenty of places between here and DeKalb. I'm sure there's not very good coverage, and mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have had a good chance of getting out the signal maybe to cell phones even. But I think you know just to kind of put an exclamation point on it it is one of those things that seems like should be supportable in the community one way or another um i mean i'm not i'm looking at you guys and i'm not judging or anything but i'm not guessing that it was the most expensive radio station in the world when you guys were you know in your younger years to you know, salary wise and things like that nobody was getting rich at the radio station other than maybe nelda or or howard they, or something. They, even they weren't getting <laughs> no. rich i mean uh, i you know i don't know my salary at the starting point was a buck and a half an hour 
Um, so, you know, at the end of that year, I cleared like $4,000 for the nice. t- total year um, and didn't clear much more than that when I when I got out of it many years later. Um, you know, people think that we're all rich and disc jockeys, you know, but it, even if you look in downtown Chicago, you get somebody like Lou Jack who would make a million dollars a year. Um, he was the only one making that much money. <laughs> you know, a lot of the guys were making maybe 100000 and then the rest of us at that time were making, you know, twenty, thirty, five thousand dollars $5,000. That was about it. Uh, even the owner out here wasn't making that much because they had to, to keep their part of it down low because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to, to sustain the operation. I know mm. a number of times I was told by various owners at various stations that uh, the reason why we had a paycheck that week is because they dipped into their own salary to be able to pay us. I don't know whether that was their propaganda to get us to go sell more <laughs> advertising or not, but whatever it was, it worked. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm disappointed that we don't have a radio station in the tri-cities anymore i I think it could really be supported by the businesses and the people and all the events and uh to me it's just sad that we don't have a radio station uh i know when i was let go in um the end uh let's see it was uh april i think of 81 and i thought well i'd still like to stay in sports and i'd like to stay in radio so i sent out my tapes and resumes and what have you and there was an opening in Milwaukee, which seemed like a natural since my wife and I were from the Milwaukee area. And so I talked to the uh, the program director up there and, you know, we had some good conversations. And I said, so what what kind of pay are we looking at the salary? And he quoted me the same exact amount of money that I was making here in St. Charles mm-hmm. uh, for the job that opened up in Milwaukee. And the light went on in my head thinking, well, if, and there were like 100 applicants for that position in Milwaukee. And so I, I didn't get the job. And I thought, well, given that information and that if that if Milwaukee's a step up, a big step up, then maybe this isn't going to work out too well. And we already had two children. And so that's when I decided to get uh, or my wife decided I should look into real estate. <laughs> and um, so I've been doing that since 1982. But uh, but it was interesting. Yeah. Well, I can just tell you from my position, um, everybody that was listening was jealous of the fact that you had that that job. I mean, that uh, the whole radio vibe was so much a part of what was going on, so much a part of even in high school time, you know, the, uh, letting us learn about different music and things like that, um, giving that that kind of um, you know big hug to the whole community that we're talking about here. That you all were celebrities. I mean, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Everybody would would say that. I think the the other thing that's kind of neat is that even as you do this recording, you realize with the headphones on that you're speaking directly to each and every single person that's mm-hmm. on there, which is not what it feels like when you're watching TV necessarily, mm-hmm. right? This, you know, this has always been a one-to-one conversation, I think. And I think that's another thing that we kind of miss today is that we don't have this thing anymore where you're, where you're having that kind of contact. There's, there's a few stations that still do it quite well in many communities, but the, the local radio has, has you know, pretty well dried up, at least even in part. A lot of stations mm-hmm. still do a morning show. But that's all they can afford to do locally. And the rest of it, they throw it onto a computer and it, it plays the music. And there's a thing called voice tracking where you can pre-record your show onto the computer. And you can do a, a four-hour show. You can record it in 20 minutes because all you're doing is recording your, your talking parts. And the computer inserts those into the song. You can introduce the song and it sounds like you're there, but you're not. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's the localism has, has gone 
Um, and that's about the only thing the stations have anymore because there's so much national network uh, streaming and everything going on uh, that uh, the, the only thing they can't do is local. And yeah, that's yeah. the one thing you can't afford to do because local is expensive. Yeah. I'd say um, like a lot of the local colleges, like uh, North Central, for instance, they actually, as far as I know, my buddy was on the air there and he was still able to have the freedom to choose what he wanted to do as well as make his own interjections between and in line. And I guess that's really kind of the only spot that I've been able to see that in the modern day. There are a number of college stations that have free form, WONC over at North Central, WRSC at Elmhurst College. Uh, they all have uh, different rules. You know, some of them, the, 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 the students are controlled by a class uh, that they have to take and they have to do certain things. Others, it's a student activity. Yeah, come on in, play your favorite okay. music, you know, and, and that gets a little rowdy at times. Yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, in commercial radio, uh, not so much. Yeah. yeah. And I think it is that sense of community we've kind of beaten to death here a little bit. It's the sense of community that's gone. That one-on-one communication was was uh, was very exciting. And I did a number of different radio shifts a number of different times of the day. But one of my favorites was working overnight. They, you know, most people say, oh, I don't want to work overnight. Nobody's listening. But what was nice about the overnights was I would get a call from a listener who was was alone. They were They were off work that night. They were lonely. Um, I'd sit there and talk with him for 20 minutes between, you know, my, my other duties. I'd play two or three records for him, leave them, uh, you know, at the end of the phone call thinking, oh, that, that brightened up their day a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that anymore. You can't call the computer up and make a request. You can't call um, uh, Bob Dearborn or somebody else up at the national networks who might be doing an all-night show anymore uh, and, and get on live with them ex- in rare exceptions. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the localism, the, the contact has, has gone away. And uh, one of the reasons for that, and you might say, well, the, you know, somebody cynic might say, well, it went away because you guys didn't do your job very well and you lost your advertisers and blah, blah, blah. One of our old adages was always our job is to deliver listeners to the advertisers. Well, the problem is when the syndicated people came along, when the, when the, when the Internet came along, when 24-hour-a-day news came along, all the reasons that all of those people listened as an amalgam of everybody listening, wanting to hear a little bit of their programming, went away because they had someplace else to go. And all we were left with was a lot smaller audience. Right. Of course, they didn't hear the advertising. You know, There wasn't enough of them to react to go to the local advertisers. And so that's part, I mean, it's it was a business. It was economics. I mean, I looked at it as an art form. I loved it. Yeah. And I hated the business part. You know, keep me out of sales. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> but it was a sad part of the business. So you mentioned earlier that you had the station in Geneva later on um, after it was sold from the brick houses. Where was the station located beforehand? The station originally was was set up at 1215 Fern Avenue in St. Charles. Old timers will remember the five antennas we used to have sticking up 180 (laughs) feet. Um, For a long time, they had lights on them. Later, they didn't. Um, And then when Howard Miller bought the station, he moved the studios only over to 7 Richard Street in Geneva. And it was there for a number of years. And then in the early 90s, um, when uh, uh, when the, the money was getting a little tighter, um, the owner of the station at that time did not wasn't Howard anymore, yep. moved the station back to the studio, the studios back to the transmitter site. And uh, it stayed at the end of uh, Fern Avenue until till its demise. And even when it was in St. Charles for many years off and on, like John just said, 
it was whenever you were on the air giving the identification, it was always WGSB Geneva. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they were licensed to because the, the reason why they had to put it in St. Charles was because of this directional pattern that we mentioned yeah, earlier about what we covered. In order to cover the city of license with the government-required signal strength at that time, we had to put the station in St. Charles in order to beam the signal in the direction of Geneva without interfering with other stations because we had to protect stations as far away as Madison, Wisconsin, Oak Park, uh, there was even a station we had a complaint from once over in in Ohio that was on our same frequency <laughs> that said, hey, you're bleeding into us, which isn't surprising because sometimes you get skip wave late at night. I had people write me with a letter and a cassette tape enclosed from the northern part of Norway or Finland, and I'm hearing my voice recorded from Finland, and the guy wanted a you know confirmation that he'd heard the station. Yeah, yeah. So we had to be very careful that we didn't you know override yeah. other other stations. So that's why we were licensed to Geneva, uh, but uh, well, you know we were here in St. Charles. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've got here in our archives is a recording of the last show on air for WGSB, right? Is that what it was, a GSB? Yeah, FXW. FXW, okay. Yeah. And this, uh, what year was that? Eight, uh, 2000. In the year 2000. And uh, just so happens the person that was there was... Me. Okay. <laughs> so um, what we're going to do is we're going to play a bit of that and, and uh, uh, listen to what happened on that last night um, to what we have. And then... Uh, um, after that, we'll come back here. We'll talk a little bit about it, okay? All right. The last five or seven minutes of the station's broadcast. Yep. Here we go. AM1480, wrapping up a long set of continuous music. We heard Johnny Paycheck taking his job and shoving it. The long version of Iron Butterflies in Agata DeVita. Stairway to Heaven from Led Zeppelin. And Don McLean's Tale of the Day the Music Died, American Pie. We wrapped up the set with Goodbye Songs. Supertramp did Goodbye Stranger. The Moody Blues had to go now. And from May of 1969, Mary Hopkins sang Goodbye, written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We've used the goodbye songs to announce that within the next few minutes, WFXW will be signing off the air for the last time. But before we go, we'll have a brief recap of our history and that of radio in the Tri-Cities. We aren't the first, second, or even third station to broadcast from Geneva, St. Charles, and Batavia. We'll give a list of some of the people who've worked here during our 39-and-a-half-year history. And we'll have a few suggestions as to which stations you might want to tune to once we're gone for music that's similar to ours. And then we'll pull the plug. I'm John Morgan with our final few minutes of broadcasting coming right up as we hear a song that was on top of the charts when this station first went on the air during November 1961. Goodbye Cruel World from James Darren. Goodbye Cruel World I'm off to join the circus Thank you so much. AM 1480, going way back to the big broadcast of 1938 for that one from Bob Hope and Shirley Ross with Thanks for the Memory. Well, we just made the announcement that we hoped we'd not have to make, but the time has come for AM 1480 to pass into the history books of broadcasting and go silent. 
The station's assets, including its broadcast license, have been sold to several buyers, so perhaps another station will operate on this frequency in the future. During broadcasting's first 40 years of 1920 through 1960, as many stations came and went in the Chicago area as those that survive today. Locally, AM 1480 is the fourth station to broadcast from the tri-cities of Geneva, St. Charles, and Batavia. The first local station was WJJD. Are you constantly on the go? Trying to improve your status quo? Well, good for you and lots of luck. But you need help when making a buck. Keep in the know with Living Radio. Originally located at Mooseheart, WJJD signed on October 27, 1924. Its call letter stood for the director of Mooseheart, James J. Davis. It broadcast live variety and music programs from many locations, including Mooseheart, Aurora, and Chicago. In 1935, the station was sold and moved to become a Chicago station, maintaining the WJJD call letters until last fall. Exactly two months after WJJD went on the air, another station signed on from Batavia. WORD broadcast on several frequencies until landing on 1490 for most of its life. It broadcast mostly religious and agriculture programs prior to moving to Chicago in 1929, finally leaving the air in 1931. Its concrete tower support structures are still visible in the backyard of a residence near Kirk Road and the Batavia Spur of the Bicycle Path. The third Tri-City station came along much later, on May 28, 1949. WEXI-FM, licensed to St. Charles, operated from a cement block building in what is now part of the parking lot for the Springview Restaurant on West Main Street across from the Valley Shopping Center. It struggled with local news, sports, and a wide variety of music shows featuring local performers but never managed to interest listeners or advertisers. It did involve a few prominent residents, such as John Stone of Duquesne Corporation and lawyer Charles Redman. Bruce Miller, New Orleans Saints announcer, started at WEXI, along with Hugh Hill of Chicago's Channel 7, WLS-TV. After only a few years on the air, a suspicious fire destroyed the studios, and it never returned to the air. The call letters were later picked up for a time by a station in Arlington Heights. The fourth and only station to remain in the Tri-Cities for more than a few years is the one you're listening to right now. Our original call letters were WGSB, which stood for Geneva, St. Charles, and Batavia, and also formed the basis for our early slogan of Where Good Sounds Begin. We're raising Kane every morning. Kane County tunes us in. WGSB. Where good sounds begin. 
Ralph Buhlman of WJJD and another engineer built the station because they felt Kane County needed a station in the county seat of Geneva. WGSB first signed on the air November 11, 1961, and has operated continuously ever since. Well, it actually had to be built in St. Charles due to its highly directional signal and the governmental requirement to put a sufficiently strong signal over the entire city to which it was licensed. WGSB, which became WFXW during 1981, has had a series of owners, including Dolph Hewitt, a singer on the old WLS Barn Dance program, Jack Brickhouse, the Cubs announcer for WGN, and Howard Miller, an announcer for several Chicago stations. One engineer who helped put WGSB on the air is Cliff McElvain of McElvain Electronics in St. Charles. He's the only person who's been associated with the station on and off during its entire lifetime. He's here today to help take it off the air. Several hundred announcers have worked here during our 39 and a half years of broadcasting, but a select few survived more than 10 years, including Rolf Dorfel, Linda Girardi, Greg Springer, Joy Wagner, Robin Lang, and yours truly, John Morgan. One memory I have of the station comes from the big blizzard of 79. I did a 27 and a half hour on-air shift by myself and with the help of a stranded visitor, collected and relayed weather bulletins and closure information. It took an hour and 15 minutes to read the entire list of closings once. Well, throughout the years, we have had several music formats, including beautiful music, country western, big band, and oldies. Except for the past two years, the station has served up a heavy dose of local news and sports and supplemented it with news from the Mutual Network during the 60s and from ABC during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now, we'd like to suggest some alternate radio stations with music similar to our classic hits. You might like to try The Zone at 94.7 FM, The River at 95.9 FM, The Drive at 97.1 FM, and Oldies 104.3 FM. For local news, we suggest the Chronicle or Herald newspapers, as none of the other Fox Valley radio stations is giving any serious effort to covering Tri-City News. And with that, the time has come for us to say farewell and put an end to a 39-and-a-half-year broadcast term from AM 1480. On behalf of all the former employees of WGSB and WFXW, from Joe Barry, who spoke the first words on this station at 6 p.m. on November 11, 1961, to me, right now, I'm John Morgan, wishing you good health and goodbye, with a song from Simon and Garfunkel that suggests by its title the type of sound we are about to broadcast. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision Whispered in the sounds of silence This is AM 1480, Valley Communications, WFXW, Geneva, Illinois, operating on 1.480 megahertz, coming to the conclusion of another broadcast day.
Okay, so that was 19, <laughs> that was 2000, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, I was going to say last century, but it was actually this century. Um, uh, so uh, when the last night of operation, can you tell me a little bit about what happened that last night? What was it like? Well, it wasn't night, it was day. We oh, signed day. off at 2.05 in the afternoon. Wow, okay. I mean, it didn't matter. We were going away. We didn't care what time of day it was. <laughs> um, the word had gotten out um, that uh, we were going to be leaving. Because at that time, uh, one of our later uh, successor sportscasters to Brian was a guy by the name of Greg Springer. And he left us to go up to Sporting News Radio Network. I left here and by a long about route wound up at Sporting News as well behind the scenes running the satellite. Anyway, I happened to mention to Greg the night before that the next day we were going to be going off the air. And if he wanted to hear it, he could tune in. Well, he let the word out of the bag. He told all the newspapers and everybody. So I came in, you know, that day about one o'clock to shut the station off because it was automated at that point. And I, the, the parking lot was full of reporters and I couldn't, I couldn't get in the building without having you know, 50 questions. When are you going to go off? What do you think is going to happen? You know, is there going to be another station? On and on and on. And uh, I couldn't really say much because the owner had me under, under orders not to talk. Otherwise, I wouldn't get my last paycheck. Uh, so anyway, uh, I went in. I did what I had to do. Um, and when I got ready to you know, shut it off, I just ran my – I had pre-recorded my last tape, the one that we just heard, and uh, played it and uh, hit the button. And uh, yeah, I, it drew a tear on my eye because I'd been yeah. with the station three or four times since the early mid '60s. Um, but then, you know, got the business of, of basically screwdriver and, and wire cutters in hand and cutting equipment out that I was buying from the station itself. Put it in my car, walked out the door, closed it. That was it. And mm -hmm. I, I heard that the owner head uh, of the station was staying in town at a motel. And after we were gone for about an hour, I guess I was told he came back to the station and started doing whatever dismantling he had done and uh it then was totally taken down and he sold the property it's now a housing development yeah wow well again uh, for the, all those people that are going to hear this and everything else the people that have sent us questions and stuff online uh really appreciate that by the way from everybody that that answered our yeah, request for questions on facebook yeah, um, but uh, for all of them, I'm just going to say thank you for the, the work that you guys did here in the community, and, yeah. and thanks for helping make St. Charles. Another, some more people that made St. Charles what everybody still likes today, which is a, a community of people that are uh, pretty much involved day-to-day -day with uh, making St. Charles a great place to be, so I really appreciate it. And I thanks. wish it was still here because uh, one of the nice things about living here in town all those years is that even if I went away to other stations, because I worked in Thailand, Alaska, and a few other places, if I got fired, if I left work, whatever happened, I could always come back home, go over to the local radio station, get a gig on and off for a while. And then this last time it was gone and that was that was it. And uh, uh, that was kind of my, well, there was one other station I was working for at the time. But once that one ended, that was basically forced retirement at my age. Yeah. Well, great. Was, we had a lot of fun doing what we were doing. And it's just uh, like John said, it's just a shame that uh, we don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't have asked for a better area to work in. This is a, a super uh, community, the Tri-Cities, the Fox Valley. I mean, it's it's really fantastic. Well, they could tell that we probably had too much fun. That's why they didn't want to pay us too much because they knew that we worked for free. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> what do they say? Any job that you really love is you don't need to get paid for. That's right? it. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, John, thank you very much. Brian, thanks for You're spending welcome. some time thank with us so today. Much, guys. Um, thank we, you. We, we, we look forward to going through and putting this up online and uh, whatever questions and stuff we get back, we'll be back in touch with you. And maybe in the future we'll sit down and we'll, we'll talk about some other points of this. Uh, I'd love to talk about this business. Great. Another hour-long therapy session yes, for you, you guys. Betcha. Yeah. <laughs> we'll lay it all out there. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that leaves us then with a couple of announcements. We're a little over a week away from our – uh, 2023 holiday gala. Um, unfortunately, by the time you hear this, tickets are no longer available. We've done a great job and uh, we've done a record setting attendance for this one. Um, wrapping up in December is our current exhibit, the Century, the I'm sorry, Almost Another Century of Progress, the Chicago World's Fair and its connection to St. Charles, which a lot of people are still coming by to see. And I encourage people to do that through the Christmas time. It's Christmas. So, of course, we got the gift shop here, which is doing some fantastic business. We do have ornaments, um, all sorts of cool ornaments, including pickle ornaments, which we get asked about every year. Um, I don't get it, but everybody else enjoys getting their pickle ornaments, so they're here. Um, and uh, what else am I missing, Eric? Well, our next exhibit will actually tie in with the radio. We'll be talking about the history of the Duquesne Corporation, which invented the first portable radio that was manufactured. And then uh, as part of that event, we'll actually be having 90.9 Steve Darnall over at the Public Library uh, sometime in May, so stay tuned for those details. Great. Oh, yeah. And then further on next year, um, you should be hearing more about this. We're devoting the last half of this year to celebrating um, kind of the history of music in St. Charles. So we're looking for all sorts of input on that. Hope to be doing a lot of broadcasts and podcasts about that. Mm -hmm. um, and just so we're clear now, when you said portable radio from Duquesne, you're talking about a radio that weighed... 36 pounds. 36 pounds. So kind of like the first portable computers. Yeah. I think they, a little bit <laughs> little bit like that. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, Eric. Thanks a lot for coming by. You guys, thanks again for coming by. And everybody else, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the St. Charles History Chronicle podcast. This content is copyright 2023, St. Charles History Museum, all rights reserved. Additional information on this episode and other podcast episodes is available at stcmuseum.org forward slash podcast. This is AM 1480 Valley Communications, WFXW, Geneva, Illinois, operating on 1.480 megahertz, coming to the conclusion of another broadcast day. Hey.